love what's happening. There's a sense of anticipation. And last week's message, um, if you weren't there, you might want to, I don't normally promote myself, but today's message is a follow-on from last week in a sense. Last week's message was the unfamiliar, our new sweet spot. The idea that God is a God of... Um, of rhythm and order and the familiar, you know, evening and morning and seasons and rituals and all those things. We can find it in the Bible that God likes rhythm and routines and rituals, but he also orchestrates the new, that behold, I'm doing a new thing, that there is new wine, there are new songs to sing. And so sometimes the unfamiliar going somewhere we've never been before, doing something we've never done before, can cause a reaction on the inside called fear. So having spoken about the unfamiliar, and maybe some of you are, yeah, yeah, I want to go into the the new and the uncharted and the unpredictable. Oh, but this thing that's sort of hindering me called fear. And I thought, let's address fear. And one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this message, apart from it's a follow-on from last week, is I know it's relatable. If I was speaking on even something like depression, I know it will directly impact at least, statistically, at least a fifth of us. But when I'm talking on fear, I know everyone's going, I can relate to fear. Some of you may have even experienced fear this morning or sometime, maybe a show of hands, anyone who experienced fear this week, in the past week, just put up your hand, yes, yeah. Okay, very good. So we're all in this together, and that's one of the things. Um, Fear is a universal emotion. It's not something you just experience as a kid or if you have a mental health issue and, you know, your hormones aren't doing too well. It's like, no, everyone across the board, young and old, male, female, right from the very, very beginning. In fact, one thing we can say about fear is... It is an unpleasant emotion compared to joy and happiness and fulfillment, but it all goes back to our ancestors in Genesis chapter 3. We read it was like their very first emotion that indicated, uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, eating that fruit was more than just eating fruit. It was an act of rebellion. We have disobeyed God. We have made a choice going for fierce independence. We didn't really believe God at his word. We believe the devil, who is a father of lies. And the very first emotion when God showed up and manifested his presence was, we need to hide. And when God asked the question, why are you hiding? They said, we heard you in the garden and we were afraid. They were never afraid before. Adam was never afraid of Eve. Oh man, she's got a strong personality, you know. She was never afraid of him. He never raised his voice. She never felt intimidated. But this moment in our history where we disobey God and that first emotion that was an alarm of saying things will never be quite the same. And this is an emotion you will experience throughout all of your life from generation to generation. Here we are, 21st century, and we all experience fear. What sort of fears? What are, if you were to have your top three, what would they be? Now, statistically, I don't, I've never been... It's interesting when you, you share stats, it's like I've never been asked. 
about my opinion, but apparently some people have, and there's this statistic that, that the fear of death is number one. I'm working in aged care, have been for the last year as a chaplain, and I'm constantly confronted with people who are facing death, and it's, for many people, a fearful experience, both death itself, especially when they don't have faith, but also the way you're going to die. Pain, choking, am I going to be alone, and a whole lot of issues. For other people, it's what I'm doing right now. So in a moment, I'm going to share my fear, of which some of you are going to go, that is so lame. But I don't feel so bad because I'm doing what a lot of people don't like doing. And Mark does. Uh, I'm speaking in public, of which as a child, I would have dreaded. If I had to speak in public, I would be literally sick. I would not sleep well. I would wake up and it'd be the first thought would be, oh no, I've got to read something from a book. And as I'd read, I would stutter, I would stumble, I'm shaking, I'm thinking, I am dumb, I am worthless, I am useless, and I can't wait till this moment has gone. Fear it can be so intoxicating, so intimidating, so consuming. Fear, if you were to ask me essentially what is fear, fear is a memory of danger or a threat. Now, for some of us, that what we fear today is the result of an experience we had maybe only a few months ago. Maybe you had a a near-death experience. Maybe you're on a plane and normally flying was no big deal, but the turbulence was so bad, you have this memory now. And every time you go to fly, there's this memory you take with you. It's like, oh, the last time I flew, fear is a memory of danger. I was about five years of age where my parents in Sydney, were living at Sydney, I had to have day surgery. Uh, Day surgery for a child is very different than day surgery for a child today. Back in the 60s, what you would do as a parent, you would drop your kids off and pick them up a few hours later. It it was abusive. It was so traumatic. You know, for Karen and I, we've been in uh, Princess Margaret, I don't know how many times our kids broken bones, asthma attacks and so on. And you were with them all the time. You're asking questions. You know, I was there when Jake had to, who had a broken arm and had to move it a certain way so he could get an X-ray. And he actually, oh, it was a fracture. He, it happened a few hours, or oh, several hours before, and then he sort of stopped crying. So I thought, oh, he's fine. <coughs> and then when, uh, you know, we took him in and they said, oh, you, you should have brought him in earlier. You, you didn't feel very good as a parent. So they're having to move his arm a particular way, and he's screaming. It felt like parents are looking at me going, What a useless dad. But anyhow, I was there for my son and Karen's been there for Emily during her trauma and whatever. And so at least when they have a memory of hospital, it was, oh, but mum and dad were there, reassuring. That wasn't my experience. So I'm dropped off. I remember I'm lining up. There's a few boys. You go to the urinal. I don't know why you had to go to the urinal, but anyhow, you go to the urinal and then you go to a bed. It was a metal bed. It was a very old bed. And there's a little bedside cabinet there and another bed and there's a boy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, <laughs> this is cool so far. We're in bed. I've never had surgery before or anything like that. And anyhow, a nurse comes with a little foil tray and she had a needle. And I looked at the syringe and my first thought was, oh, the poor kid's going to have a needle. <laughs> 
You know where this is going, don't you? So I've obviously seen that little instrument of torture before. I knew what it was, but I just assumed, oh, he's having a needle. I'm getting a tablet. And then the nurse said rather abruptly back then, there was no, they, very abruptly, uh, do you want the needle in your arm or your bottom? And it was just like, ah! <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and so anyhow, the way she dealt with it, I think I must have said my bottom because I thought, I don't know why, it just seems further away. <laughs> yeah, and anyhow, I, I, I obviously wasn't cooperating when she pulled down my pants. It's like, who you're pulling down my pants so she got a doctor to pin me down. Why she, you see, you're all laughing. This, is, this did so much damage. Anyhow, I got the needle. The weird thing about this situation is I don't remember the pain of the injection. I remember the pain of abandonment. I remember the pain of public humiliation. I remember the pain of there is an association, there is a memory now, that little instrument, that little demonic instrument called a syringe. <laughs> There's now a little message in my brain saying, anytime that is there, it is a threat. And I'm going to release overwhelming um, hormones in you, fight, flight, or freeze. Now forget freezing. I'm gonna freeze. I'm not gonna fight the thing, but if I can avoid it at all costs, I will. And I don't know how many times growing up, I didn't go to the dentist for years and years because I was just petrified of having one of those. And yet the pain later is even worse. So what happens is there is a memory that's all associated with hormones of adrenaline and cortisol, stress hormones, this agitating sensation. And little Amy, uh, who's part of my brain, amygdala, and it's spelled A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A. I just call her Amy. There is another woman in my life. Her name is Amy. And Amy, whose primary role is to protect me, every time there's that, it's a threat. It is equivalent to a line. Amy can't tell the difference between a real threat like a line and a little bit of plastic with this little metal thing that goes through your skin. And so for years and years, I have been petrified of needles. So if I had to have a tetanus shot or booster or go to the dentist, inevitably the day before at least, I will, Amy's already talking to me, Rob, you are going to die. I'm doing my best to get your attention, cancel the appointment, run, fight this thing. And it, it's, you know, I had to go along with the appointments and just every time it was ghastly, even though I have no memory of those injections ever hurting. So that's my little that's my story, that's a little bit of my fear narrative, the story I tell myself about myself in association with fear. What about yourself? Because what I, want, what I believe Holy Spirit wants to do for us this morning is to have a different relationship with fear. That fear is more than just a, a thought and emotion. Think of fear as a person, that fear is personified. What is your relationship with fear? What is your fear? What do you fear the most? So know your fear. What is your greatest fear? Mine for a long time, by the way, and I'll share it in a moment, at the age of 25, that fear, thankfully, I have a new memory, a new fear narrative. But what is yours? Is it public speaking? 
Is it doing new things? Is it taking on responsibility? Is it intimacy? Is it failure? Is it um, rejection? Uh, is it heights? Is it flying? Is it, you know, there are just dozens and dozens. And what happens is it's very easy to hear someone else's fear and go, oh, that's a little lame. Like my fear, you know, you might have a fear of heights and then someone else, but heights don't, I, I don't think height has ever killed anyone. Yeah, but you don't understand what it's like to be me. What is your greatest fear? Then where do you feel fear? For some of us, we sweat. The moment there's fear, it's, you know, beads of sweat on the forehead or under, you know, underarms, our, our hands get all clammy and sweaty. Some of us, we, we just sweat. That's our, okay, I'm afraid, I'm sweating. For others, and it's, really, it's a real bummer if it's public speaking and you're doing public speaking. For some people, it's a dry mouth. So they're doing their public speaking and you know, they're going for the water because that's the way fear manifests. Butterflies in the stomach. They, I don't know why they call it butterflies. I've, <coughs> but that, you feel it in the gut, basically. Some of us feel dizzy. We, we start going, whoa, I, I feel like I'm going to faint. But you never do, but it... It feels like that. So what is your fear? Where do you feel fear? And do you understand what is actually happening to you when you're afraid? You're in good company, so don't be hard on yourself. But do you understand just the basics of, oh, it's more than just butterflies and sweat. It's actually Amy Little old Amy, who has done a great job, you know, she, she's about survival, she's about protection, but sometimes Amy just talks too much. Sometimes, she just goes on and on and on, and she exaggerates. She doesn't always have a clear picture of reality. So are you aware that when you experience fear, there is a memory of danger that Amy starts activating fight, freeze, flight, that your whole state changes, your whole physiology changes to the point of you're agitated, you're overwhelmed. They're the times we don't make good decisions because the other part of our brain that's all about decision-making focus, well, sorry, Amy's getting all the attention. So just to have an idea of, oh, okay, so that's why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. It's human, but it can be controlled. Amy can be managed. Then the other question is, how has fear been serving you? How has fear impacted you? I think having self-awareness is so important because in a sense, as I ask this question, I want you to be a little bit angry at Amy. I want you to see that there are times you look back, I have so many regrets. There were promotions, there are opportunities to speak, there are opportunities to do this. And I said no because of fear because of Amy. Amy said, don't do that. What will people think? What will happen? Well, I'm trying to protect you. Get a little angry at Amy. Get a little angry at, there are times you, you are hindered, you are intimidated, you are restricted, you are belittled. You, and it's like, but I have allowed it. Know your fear. Now we get to the good stuff. Face your fear. So what do you do 
normally with fear? What do you do when Amy starts talking and getting your attention? For some of us, we, we do avoidance. If for some people have a fear of lifts, so it's quite easy. I just don't get on a lift. I get on an escalator, I take the stairs, but I'll never ever get on a lift. Avoidance. The trouble is, the, the lift, it's not, the issue isn't the lift, the issue is on the inside. So even though you're avoiding it, it's still here. The issue's still there. You're just avoiding it. Why well, don't fly? I can remember having a panic attack years ago on a plane and, you know, we were going from Perth to Gold Coast and during the holidays at Gold Coast, I spent a lot of my time planning, how do I get home? Because I'm not going on the plane. I'll get on a bus. I'll get on a train. And then I realised up until that time, I had no medication for anxiety and I thought, I know, I'll just see a doctor say, I want to be as high as high, legally. <laughs> so I was. I flew home and was, I got off the plane and father-in-law met us to carry our bags and I'm just going, <laughs> Amy's asleep, you know? Amygdala's asleep. It's just like, well, I, I did it, but it, then I felt shame afterwards. Like, gosh, that flying? Like turbulence isn't a big deal, actually. Do you ever have panic attacks when you're driving, you go over a pothole? Oh, 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 nearly died. No, well, that's all it is when you're flying. It's just like a little pothole. The pilots aren't there going, oh, no, she's going down, she's going down. No, it's just, it's just like, oh, dear, I hope the passengers are okay. Like, it's no biggie. The, the plane's fine. So what do you do with fear? Very, very important. Fear is a memory of danger. Fear is a learned behaviour. Fear isn't random. You don't just suddenly, oh, I've got this fear off. No, there is a memory. So let me tell you my story of first how I had the memory of danger associated with injections and how that memory has now changed. You can't delete the memory. You can just create a new memory. You can write a new narrative. So rather than a fear narrative, it's now a faith narrative. So I'm in Bible college training to be an amazing pastor and um, all sorts of emotional issues. Even back then, there was certainly a lot of anxiety and very self-conscious and what have you. And after a few months of being in theological college and learning Greek and everything else, I found out that one of the students is a pathologist. I remember, you know, she said, oh, this is what I do on Mondays when I'm not studying, I'm a pathologist. Oh, I don't like people like you, you horrible people. You're like vampires. That <laughs> you use those things called injections. I've never had a blood test. I've had needles in my mouth and arms and everything else. It's just like, oh gosh, oh, that's horrible. And I told her my fear. She said, you know, you can unlearn that. So she asked me to go to a room. I thought, well, this could be a setup. But anyhow, she asked me into a room where we're all living on campus. And she said, she got out a, an injection. She said, do you want me to take your blood now? Oh, oh, no, 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 that ain't happening. She said, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll give you an injection to take back to your room. And I want you, for a week or so, however long it takes, I want you to be, get familiar with it. In time, I want you to take the cap off and I want you to touch your skin with a needle. And then eventually, you'll give it to me and I'm going to take some blood. Oh, no, you're not. But anyhow, I took the injection home and for a day or two, I just walked past it. It was just, I actually felt quite sick just looking at it. I thought, you have caused so much pain in my life. 
And then out of curiosity, I, I picked it up and started touching my arm with the cap on, of course, and poking my eye and, you know, just, just being silly and, oh yeah, maybe a day or two passed. It's now becoming a little bit more familiar, not that big a deal, it's a bit of plastic, a bit of metal. And took the cap off and started touching my skin with the needle. I thought, gosh, it's sharp. It's, didn't do the eye thing. Um, <laughs> just touching and just a week or so, I'm talking to it, I'm having a conversation and so I went to Sue and I said, oh, I, 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 I might be ready. So she said, okay, well, give me the... Well, she got, got another injection, of course. That's very unclean. So she got out her little bag, little black bag, and got out the syringe, took the cap off and said, Let me, all I'm going to do is now just touch your skin. But the, the difference is you're not in control. Part of the issue. So Sue started touching my skin with a needle. <laughs> And she said, are you ready? I thought, I, I, I think I am. And then she put a strap, what's that? You didn't tell me about strap. Well, it's just so you, your vein pops out. And said, oh. Okay, she said, you don't have to look. And then she reassured me, said, you know, my experience is children are, and men are the ones that cry the most. I said, okay, I don't feel so bad. So anyhow, in went the needle, a few seconds out it went, well, that's it? 25 years? I've been petrified and nightmares and avoidance and, you know, mild panic attacks and that's it. Here is how the story finishes in a spectacular fashion. Months later, my friends at Barber College uh, said, Rob, we're going to um, donate blood. Good for you. I said, no, you don't understand. When you donate blood, you get a hot dog, a Mars bar <laughs> and a glass of orange juice. Now, Barber College lunch every day, including winter, it's always salad with some sort of cold meat. And it's pretty, you know, after a while, you just think, I am so sick and tired of salad. Then I thought, hot dog. So anyhow, they said, do you want to come? I said, absolutely. So we went down, you know, and you know, the ladies walking us thinking, oh, what great man, you know, don't, I think, I'm doing it for the food. Forget the people. <laughs> so anyhow, I've done this once before. In went the needle, oh, cool. And then we, you know, guys being guys, who can fill up the, the thing the fastest we're squeezing? <laughs> and afterwards, hot dog, Mars bar, orange juice. It was like there was this sense of, God, there was a time. I would never have been able to do it. And here is my reward. I get a hot dog, a Mars bar and orange juice. And as a result, I now have a new memory. So since that time, uh, wisdom teeth, vasectomy, you probably didn't need to know that. Um, I've had meniscus uh, done that twice. Uh, I had blood tests every year for the last sort of uh, 15 years and it's just not a biggie anymore. There are times I wake up for a blood test and I think, oh yeah, I've got a blood test, forgot all about it. Glad I didn't eat anything. I don't even think about it now. Amy isn't so loud anymore. It took Amy a while to realise, oh, I thought it was a threat. I thought it was like a line. It's, it's actually not that big. Rob, go ahead. If you need a blood test, you, you can do that now. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> so, do you want to unlearn a behaviour in your life that is associated with fear? Do you want a new story? Do you want a new memory? It's not about changing our emotions. It's about changing our thinking. As a man is, so he is. 
So if the man thinks anxious, he's anxious. If the man thinks shame, he's shame. If the man thinks fear, he's fear. But if a man thinks faith, he's faith. It's like life is good. There are things around there that have potential to hurt and to harm, but I'm walking by faith and not by sight. So this is how you do it. Small steps, you do small steps. Conquer a small fear first. If you have an absolute dread of flying, don't book a flight to you know, LA tomorrow and get on the plane for a 13, whatever, 15 hour journey. You know, just do something small. Here are some ideas. It may not even be the fear associated with the, the main fear in your life, but it could be things like, is there a phone call you should have made about a week ago but you've been putting off? Tomorrow morning, make the phone call. Do it straight away, it's not a biggie. Do small things first. After the service, you might be more of an introvert, I get that. Just go up to someone and say, hi, my name's Rob. But don't, you say Rob, you say your name. Uh, if you're thinking, I have no idea of a small step, here's a small step, your assignment if you're willing to accept it. Tomorrow when you order coffee, ask the person, look at them in the eyes, say, oh, and can I have a 10% discount, please? <laughs> They'll probably say no, but that's not the point. The point is you've just done something that has made you uncomfortable, but you've done it anyhow. You've done it afraid. Rather than thinking, what are they going to think? What is the person behind me going to think? And they're probably thinking, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? It's just, <laughs> it, what you end up doing, and I do this, regularly is you just do things afraid. You don't wait for fear to go, then you do it. The power is when you feel the fear, you know what's happening in your body, you know Amy's starting to do her thing and it's just, I'm gonna do it anyhow. Conquer a small fear first. Secondly, change your first thought. When Amy, amygdala, starts doing her thing, warning, warning, danger, danger, First thought is often avoid, run, don't do it, don't accept it. Change your first thought and see what happens. So when you, you hear, Amy, when you see that word, uh, you know, whatever it might be, run, first thought, stop. Stop that thinking. Stop, Amy. Sorry, Amy. Shh. You serve me well quite often, but there are times you're over the top. New thought, please. Go for it. Give it a go. Have a crack. Make the unfamiliar your new soft spot. Imagine you at your best doing something for the first time. And it's just start changing your first thought. Even if your first thought is run, go, stop, Amy, stop. I'm going to go for this. God's in this. I'm going to do it afraid. Fear not, for I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. To be human is to fear, but God is saying, I am with you. That's the game changer. Okay, your mum and dad weren't with you back then when you were five. Rob, I was there with you. I felt your fear. I was there with you. I felt your humiliation, but I'm saying it's okay. I am with you. 
I will get you through the waters. I will get you through the fire. God specialises with people who are battling with fear. Another key area, and we're going to sort of more or less close with this. If you go and hear um, motivational speakers, Tony Robbins and others, if you go on any podcast, you know, entrepreneurs, athletes, whatever, at some point, they're going to talk about breathing. In a moment, we're going to do a breathing exercise because when you're aware of Amy and what Amy does and changes our state to fight flight and all that stress, the way you can turn your whole state around and your whole physiology is breathing. Through slow breathing, through your nose, through your belly or your diaphragm, not through your shoulders, but here, if this becomes part of your daily routine, which it's mine, you'll find as you do this over and over again, it becomes part of you. And when a fearful situation comes, in about three minutes, you can change your physiology from that stressful fight flight to relaxation. Everything's going to be okay. You can then focus. A whole lot of different ways of breathing. And you might think, breathing, hey, this is good. You're going to get this in church. It's not going to cost you money. You can go to seminars and whatever and pay hundreds of dollars. You're going to get this free. I got, this is not original. I got it from a former Navy SEAL called Mark Irvine. And he's written a book about his experience as a Navy SEAL, how he dealt with very stressful situations. And one of them was breathing and it's called box breathing. So if you imagine a box, it should be called square. And just uh, on that box, it's four, 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 four. It's a count of four. First thing you do, you breathe in. Through your nose, your diaphragm. Count of four, slowly, not, no, but. Count of four, then you hold it. For four. One, two, three, four. Then you let it out. You can do that through your nose for the count of four. One, two, three, four. Then this gets hard. You hold it for four again. One, two, three, four. Then you breathe in for four. So breathe in for a count of four. Hold for a count of four. Breathe out for a count of four. Hold for a count of four. And you do that for about four minutes. You do it every day. And in time, you will find at any time, any place, any situation, you can turn it on, shut Amy up and all the physiology that she releases and you get to that place where you can also, as you're breathing, be still and know that I am God. Everything is going to be okay. Fear not for I am with you. Breathing is more than oxygen. In the very beginning we read, and God breathed into the nostril of Adam. Breathing is life. Breathing is spirituality. Breathing is the life of God. Breathing in the presence of God. Breathing out.
breathing in. Sorry, Amy. Sorry, can't hear you. All I can hear is the voice of the Father. I am with you.